So here we are with Kev Capel. How are we doing, my friend? How are you finding in quarantine? Um, I mean, it's starting to ease up a little bit now. I've, I've been like everybody else. I, I've been through uh, everything. Do you know what I mean? I've been through all the conspiracy, all the doubt, all, all, all the all the fear. Um, you know, I, I didn't want to close the gym, but you know, it, it was the right thing to do. Um, and I just had to sit down like everybody else. You know, try and. Um, Keep myself occupied. Keep some kind of training ticking over. I've watched shitload of Netflix. So I've rewatched. <laughs> I've rewatched so much stuff. Um, but you know, to be honest, I think you know personally, and, and having spoke to a lot of people, I don't know how you feel, Dan, but um, I, I think I needed a, a break. You know, like a, a couple of months. And obviously, I know a, a global pandemic is not an ideal situation, right? To take advantage of something, but. Um, I think a little bit of a, a, a break from training and a break from work and a, and a break from running the gym has probably done me a little bit of good. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm itching to get back. I know a lot of lads are itching to get back. Um, I feel great health-wise. So, yeah, I, I think overall, you know, so far, you know, I've, I've probably benefited from it. I mean, this is the irony in it all because... I think it's really lit a lot of fire for people who actually want to come back to training, the people who were burning out anyway. Hey, look at that for two fire-related puns, couldn't it? But like, again, <laughs> if, you, if you're surrounded by it full-time and you're always with your students, always training yourself, always got competitions, you're just non-stop all the time. Like, how, what point do you even properly recover? What point do you even switch off? But then, I guess it has to take a while by the pandemic to get some people to take a break, but either way, you've got to make positives where you can. It's just difficult because you know I've I've been I've actually been saying for a while I'd like to um, not take a break from jujitsu because I love jujitsu but I'm in the gym a lot and you get caught up rolling all the time and you know you start to pick up injuries for for years and years I've wanted to put on a little bit of weight just ease off rolling and just bulk up a little bit just five six kilos and um, and then come back to training a little bit for a little bit of extra uh, you know meat on the bones and. I just could never get that break because if I'm teaching, it's hard not to kind of get caught up into the rolling and, and, and you know, before you know it, you've, you've, you've done two sessions that day rather than one, you know, putting on weight is, is difficult, but this has, has kind of allowed me to do that. You know, I've just been doing weights two, three times a week, trained with my son, son once or twice, and then just eat and sit on the sofa, kind of prison routine, do you know what I mean? Train an hour a day and then sit down for the other 23 and, and, and um, I must put a little bit of weight on, and I, I just don't think, realistically, I could have ever given myself that kind of break from the mat without the rest of the world shutting down alongside me, you know? So, um, you know, it is bad, obviously, if people are, are getting ill and people are losing family members and stuff, but, you know, for, for me, I've avoided all that side of it, so, yeah, just enjoyed the break. Well, that's it as well. Obviously, we'll take, you know, worldwide pandemics as being bad as red. We won't have to specify <laughs> too much, but I think the yeah, concept of exactly. the gym shutting down and having a bit of space, obviously, you know, businesses and the rest of it, we're not going to go into the put the world to rights, but the concept of having time off is good. We'll we, we make sure we make that very clear for anyone listening. We're not like, you know... <laughs> yeah. A lot of people get mad at me, go, fucking hell, but, you know, I've lost 10 family members and you've just got your feet up, but no... Um... Fucking hell, Corona care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. COVID came. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, okay, I've started these tangents already. <laughs> All right. Um, regards to your training at the minute, are you just completely switching off? Are you doing any, like, I don't know, instructionals and stuff you're watching or anything like that? Uh, 
the first the first couple of weeks, me and my son were getting together uh, three times a week, and we were doing everything. We were hitting pads, we were we were training gi, um, and then we we started just to lose motivation a little bit, and and you know wanted to take advantage of a little bit of downtime. So I, I ended up just doing probably for the last four or five weeks, I've just been doing weights twice a week and probably getting in one pad session or one you know half hour old with Keenan once a week so um ticking over I don't I don't tend to watch that many instructionals I, I know everyone's got free stuff out there in a minute um me and Keenan have recorded a few videos done a little bit on zoom with the RGA academy watched a few zoom ones you know jumped in to try and support all that but to, to be honest you know like I'm I'm 45 this year I'm not I'm not ancient or anything but I don't, I'm not really big online, you know, very, very, you know, last couple of years I've even, you know, I'm hardly on Facebook. I only do Instagram for, for, for the gym or if something really interesting happens in my personal life, but I'm not really into it, mate, to be honest. You know, I, I like, I, I like being at the gym. I like being with all the guys. I like the banter at the gym. You know, I just love that environment and online, I know we've had to do it, but it, it's a little bit soulless for me, you know, um, if I was stuck on a hilltop somewhere, I'd probably have a, a pack of DVDs with me or, or, or subscribe to it. You know, um, obviously he's my coach, but Roger Gracie TV, personally, I, I think is one of the best ones out there. Because the thing with Rog, obviously he's, he's very accomplished. You know, don't, you, don't get, you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't get much more accomplished than that. Um, and he'll do sparring sessions with really, really good guys, and then he'll commentate afterwards on it. So you get a little bit of inside scoop on his psyche, and for me, that's the most beneficial stuff. So, but I don't get time to do it when when we're doing normal life, you know. And I'm in the gym most days, so I don't really feel the need to be online looking at stuff as well, you know. Personally, I have done all that, but it's just a gym now for me. I like to be with people. You know, I like to be in the gym. When it comes to your own training, like obviously pre-quarantine back in the good old days. <laughs> how much time is spent i don't know going out getting information or structuring lessons or is it a case of you have your curriculum and then you go from there how structured is it uh my, my basic cur curriculum is pretty structured like the fundamental building blocks um i pretty much stick to everything i've been taught by by uh marisha and roger um i find it's it's very teachable gives people a good fundamental skill of being able to escape bad positions, being able to capitalize on bad positions and, and have a good overall understanding of, of the game. Uh, that's pretty structured. Um, once we start getting into intermediate and advanced classes, that's where things can be a bit more fluid. You know, uh, the competitors bring new stuff back from competitions. People bring stuff back from other gyms. You get global trends, you know, lapel guards, rubber guard. X guard. These are all kind of global trends that, 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 that I think it's important to keep up with. Uh, the leg lock game at the minute, obviously, is a big, big global trend that, that that's um, changed the game a little bit or, or, or improved the game, depending on, on how you look at it. Um, so I, I keep abreast of that, but I, I, again, I, I try and I try and be a student at least once a week. You know, where, um, so I try and get to London once a week and train in, in one of Roger's classes or. Um, get over to Bista and, and, and spend some time with Mauricio. And 
I just find any time I'm on the mat with those guys, all the people that are generally around them, I, I just pick up little, little nuggets of information now to improve stuff that I'm already doing well. Um, and again, if something new's coming up, you know, Roger and Mauricio, they're the perfect guys to go, you know, this new lapel guard, people keep wrapping my leg, you know, or wrapping their leg with my, my, my gi and, um, you know, what do you do about it? And, and they've usually got, uh, uh, you know, fairly useful tips that, that I can almost employ straight away, you know, put your knee here, put your hand here. So it's not like I'm learning whole new sequences. I'm just adding little nuggets to my game where I can to improve myself. And then I pass them on in the intermediate and advanced classes. So that's pretty much how I do it. Now, that brings me on to quite an interesting point now. Obviously, when it comes to getting the most out of your coaches and asking the right kind of questions, you're then taking this a step further to speaking to the greatest jiu-jitsu competitor of all time and his dad, who's even <laughs> greater, to be fair. <laughs> how do you benefit? How do you get the most out of your time with them regards of getting information, getting the most out of your sessions with them? Is there certain things you try to ask? Is it problems you find? Is it concepts? Is it whole things, little details? Where do you get the most out of your sessions? Um, so I... I, I... I'm, I'm, I'm very good friends with, with, with Roger and Marisha. I'm, I've been I've been extremely lucky in my um, martial arts journey, if you want to call it that. You know, I've, I've known Marisha for 20 years now, and I've, I've, I've known Roger for probably 17, 18. Um, I, I consider them friends as much as anything else, so I'm, I'm, I, and, I, and I'm very aware that I'm, I'm lucky to be you know to be able to say that. Um, I don't go with a preconceived idea of you know I'm seeing Mauricio next Wednesday. What I want to cover is this. I, I don't I don't do that. Um, what I try and do is when I'm training, when I'm rolling, if if one particular thing keeps coming up, I, I you know I get caught with the same sweep or feel like I'm making the same mistake or I'm getting to a position and I don't have a plan of what I would do. I try and hold that thought in my head till next time I see Roger or Marisha, and I, I, you know, I'll, I'll bring it up in the training and say, look, I, I end up here a lot. What, what would you recommend? Or, um, and if not my own training, then then usually my next port of call is my son. Um, obviously, I'm, I'm very invested in in him getting you know the best training he can get. So if I see when he's rolling, if I see him kind of fall for the same trap every time. And I don't really have a definitive answer. Again, I'll keep that in the bank. And, and when I see Roger or Mauricio, I'll talk to them about it and say, look, you know, when Keenan's rolled and I see this happen a lot, what would you recommend? And, and, you know, I can't think of a time where they haven't had some good advice where that I've been able to kind of take away. Um, and that's pretty much how I do it. And if I've got nothing, which is rare, but if I've got nothing, just sitting next to those guys on the mat or, or watching them train or, or see how they interact with people, you, you, you always come away with something. You know, that, that's how I kind of uh, get the information out of them. I just kind of let it happen naturally, really. I guess you kind of have to, especially those kind of people as well. They're not the sort of, I don't know, the regimented kind of, I don't know, the drill sergeant you probably used to back in the services of, okay, you need to do this, that, and the other on this sort of structure. It's more oh that's your problem okay let's do it this way it's kind of ad hoc kind of things yeah yeah and, and some of the greatest tips i've got i mean i've had i mean 
in the old academy, Roger, you know, uh, one situation in particular, I won't, I won't break the whole story down, but, you know, Roger come on the mat to give me a tip about something. He was in his jeans. He wasn't even training. He was just uh, in the academy. And he took his trainers off, showed me uh, a way of dealing with a certain guard passers. You know, the person kept sweeping me with the same thing. And he just showed a way to position the leg slightly differently. I'm still using that now 10, 15 years later. You know, that one technique, and, and I use it all the time. I almost, in some situations, will we'll try and get the, the guard player to, to use that technique so that I can use this defense because it works so well. It's just a way of getting past the butterfly guard. But um, I still use that now. And that was just a, a two-minute... I wasn't even in a lesson with Roger. He was just, you know, at the academy and, and, and jumped on the mat and gave me a tip, and, and that stayed with me for a long time. So um, I've always found that with him. I, maybe when I was white or blue belt um i probably had tons of questions probably much more structured stuff that i want to learn but but now like i say i just kind of let it drift in and out naturally i find i find that useful when it comes to your students and like seminars and everything else at the minute how do you find getting them to ask those questions because obviously you've had the experience to be in the positions to ask the questions from Hodger and mauricio but obviously white belts and things people don't know what they don't know how would you then get them to ask the right questions and get them to ask? How did I get the most out of their sessions and their training? Um, I think over time, uh, as a coach, a lot of the time, the same questions come up over and over again at different times, but from the same people. So, generally speaking, you know, a, a, a white belt is going to want to know why they can't maintain the mount. They're going to want to know why they keep getting caught with triangles. You know, these are stuff that probably realistically once you've been training a year or two you could probably answer for for them so I, I find that um there's a lot of cascade training as in the knowledge is cascading from the top so you know uh a, a two-month white belt will actually be learning quite a lot from a, from the six and eight month white belts that they're just training with naturally you know because during that we do in the basic classes i believe in um a lot of positional training, a lot of specific training, you know, mm. just bound, just guard, just side control. So people can really consolidate those skills in their area before they get into the free sparring. Um, so, and you'll see the conversation take place. Oh, how did you pass my guard there, mate? Oh, you did this, you made that mistake. And, uh, and as a coach, I, I don't try and interact with every single little thing. I try and cast an eye over the mat and, and, and an ear because sometimes people give people really shitty advice and then i'll step in and go actually no 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 yes you, you're mistaken then and I'll, I'll try and give the right advice but if, if if someone goes look i keep triangling you because you keep putting one arm in and one arm out that's good advice i'll just let that slide you know because that's good cascade training i haven't got to interact there so um i do find that the way our curriculum is set up and and um the way we do it a lot of the questions are answered just through regular training um, and then depending, you know, if, if someone's motivated, they, they will approach me anyway. Uh, and then if they're not as motivated, same thing. I try and get to know my students over time and, and I'll know who's quieter and who might need me to actually lead the conversation through their personality. Do you know what I mean? So, again, I, I just kind of let it happen naturally. If, if, if they're very forthcoming, I'm expecting a lot of questions. If they're a little bit quieter, I'll just see how they're getting on in training. And, and if I see the same mistakes, see, see this, you know, it's, it's always going to be the same things, you know, they're getting swept a lot or they're getting submitted a lot. Okay, let's break it down a little bit from there. Uh, and then I'll probably 
you know, I'll probably be the one breaking the ice on the, you know, I see you get in that position a lot. Um, have you thought about what you're doing and, and, and try and start a conversation like that? Um, you know, everyone's different. Now, one thing, slightly off tangent, but something I really wanted to get into was your sort of transition from the forces into jiu-jitsu. It's almost polar opposite sort of scenarios. It's a case of being really regimented, being, you know, stricter sort of chill back jiu-jitsu lifestyle kind of thing. Like, how did you find that transition as such? Was it a bit more, I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, a, a big disclaimer, I, I look I look back on my on my military career now. I, I served uh, 1992 to 2002. Um, I look back, I look back on it with very rose-tinted glasses. I really look, I think at the time, a lot of my time I spent saying, fuck this shit, I hate it, uh, <laughs> along, with, along, with all, along with all my friends, you know. Um, you know, one of one of our, I think one of our regiment, regimental sayings was, fuck this, I'm getting out. Um, <laughs> but, but now I look back and it's some That's of my fondest Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so the transition... I, I left the army actually. I left uh, for for a short while, um, and then I went back. Um, but when I first left, I, I started martial arts literally just to stay fit. I, I was getting out of shape. I was always in half decent shape, but I was getting I was getting out of shape, and I just started kickboxing um, just to stay in shape because I you know I boxed before and the training was similar and all, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then just by chance, the MMA scene was starting to kind of get going a little bit in the UK. Um, and at the time, again, it, you know, I was just a little bit scrappy. I enjoyed a scrap. I, I enjoyed, you know, watching boxing and, and, you know, anything with two guys punching each other, I, you know, I'd taken interest in. So um, the uh, my, my coach, Neil McLeod, he had an MMA fight. Uh, I, I cornered him because I've worked corners before on the boxing team. Um and it just caught my attention, really. Uh, Mauricio was just up the road in, in London, so I was able to get to train with him after about six months. And, and I think it just filled a big gap for me, you know. Um, it was... I think the, the biggest thing that people miss when they leave the forces is not necessarily the routine, although you do miss that. Um, you, you miss the camaraderie of, of your friends and the people around you, you know, you're in stressful situations and, and people's character comes out in stressful situations, so you really get to know people. So, you know, you, you do kind of form a brotherhood. Um, and that was missing from, from my life. Uh, once I started going to particularly Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I think for the same reason, you're sharing time with people under stressful situations. There's not a lot more stressful, especially if you think you're a tough guy. There's not a lot more stressful than going into a gym and getting you know, choked out by people half your size. And, um, you know, it brings out people's true character. And, and, you know, I think a lot of people miss that time on the mat after a hard session when the hard work's done and, and everyone can relax and just sit there and, 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 and you know, you, you chat for 20, 30 minutes. I think real bonds are made like that. And um, I think that kind of camaraderie and brotherhood was, was needed in my life. And I think that's what, more, more than the routine, you know, more, more than, you know, the, the, the routine got replaced with uh, regular training, you know, whereas the army's getting you out of bed to, to, to go on parade or whatever. You know, I was now getting out of bed myself to make sure I'd do my run so I didn't get my ass kicked too badly in jiu-jitsu because I needed to be a bit fitter. So, 
yeah, the, the, the camaraderie was the thing that it, it, it replaced the most. And again, like, the amount of stress. The thing is, so like when I roll with you, it's horrible because I'm thinking, okay, we're being playful, but I can't move. <laughs> just a bit like, okay, <laughs> he's relaxed. He's not even like, you know, I don't think he knows I'm here. <laughs> right. I find I find if you let people move, they start doing stuff to you. So I, I try and shut people down as, as much as I can. And again, I've learned from two guys who are just fantastic at shutting people's games down. And um, I try and do my best version of what they do. Just, um, yeah, squash people, tie them up, frustrate them, not let them move much and, and, and you know, slowly work towards a submission if you can. But this is also an interesting point. In regards of similar styles, also similar builds, like you and Roger must be what is it, 40 kilos difference. Uh, how did you find like adapting your style to what he was teaching? I think that's why I struggle so much when I roll with him. You know, the size is um, he's just so much bigger than me. I just can't get. <laughs> it's got nothing to do with his level of technique at all. It's just his size. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, <laughs> um, I think um, I think when I started, I, I was I was pretty fit, uh, and I was more geared towards the MMA, and and. Um, MMA gets you in a def different level of fitness if you're doing it right. And and I had, although I've always been kind of like a 60, 65 kilo player, I had a fairly dynamic, fast game where I'd use my, my, my speed and cardio to try and get people tired, really. So then I could pass the guard and, and make and make mistakes through through fatigue if any, more than anything else. But um, as I've got older and picked up injuries, I've had a couple of knee injuries, a shoulder injury, um, you know, bits and pieces it kind of dawned on me that a, a, a lot of these injuries I was getting was because I was moving so much or trying to fight out stuff too late you know I, I was already too deep into someone's deep de la Hiva guard and your knees getting twisted a bit and then you just try and you know spaz out for want of a better word and, and, and just try and break out of it using explosive and dynamic movement and then your knee cricks and then you're out for six weeks or whatever um, so I didn't really slow my game down because I was getting older and, and, and my cardio was going or I wasn't able to. I just found that it was kind of emulating that, that slower, more methodical, very, you know, the, the kind of game that Roger, you know, some people call it, you know, some people call it old man's jujitsu, but um, he's, he's not an old guy. I think when you, when you, you kind of emulate that style, you just you just get injured less, uh, and you just make less mistakes. And, and yeah, maybe you don't uh, blast through a guy and tap him six times in six minutes. You might get him once, or you might not even get him. You get close. You know what I find a lot when I train is at the end of a six-minute round, if the guy's half decent, I might be edging towards taking his back now, or I might be on the back but not quite have the submission. But uh, I don't beat myself up about that now because I just understand that I just run out of time you know I, I went at a certain pace one preserving my energy two trying to prevent my injury you know getting any more injuries and and um, I think that's why I like their style so much now you know because like you say naturally before I was moving different to Roger you know but but now I, tr I try and move so much more like them one because it's really effective Two, you can kind of do it almost all day. And, and I just pick up so... I don't want to jinx myself when I go back, but I just pick up so many less niggles than I did before. You know, the, the not not the big injuries, but the little 
injuries, you know, you twist your knee a little bit one way or, you know, so that's why I prefer, that's, that's why I prefer their style now. And I've been doing that for a while now. I've been telling about that for a little while. I guess when you restrict the amount of movement, you restrict the amount of injuries as such. Because if you get the more dynamic guards, the more dynamic styles, you invite more opportunity for injuries. Whereas if you reduce that, you reduce the windows for things to go wrong as such. But even on top of that, though, like, do you spend much time experimenting with different styles just for creativity and a bit of fun? Or is it all just trying to improve what you're already building as such? Um, I think... I think style-wise, I'm I'm pretty much sold on. on I'll call it old man's jujitsu, um, just because I think everybody knows exactly what kind of game I'm talking about when I say that. Um, style-wise, that that's pretty much how I like to do it. I like I like to frustrate, shut shut their game down before they get it going, and, and whatever pace I need to go, move through my sequences of positions to to to, to set a submission up. And if they make a big mistake early from from the pressure, then then sometimes you get a nice submission early as well. But that that's pretty much my my style. That's what I try and do. Unless someone's able to pressure me, then obviously um, I'm, I'm I have to be on the defensive. Um, so I don't really kind of mess around with any other styles. But I, I do um, I do like to pay attention to what's going on on the the competition scene uh, and what's working at a high level and what trends are coming in, and then I'll work those. So um, you know the two main areas I've been investigating uh, is the lapel guard, the Keenan Cornelius stuff. I think that's 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 there's a lot of that out there, and it's and it's undeniable how how effective it is, especially if you know if if people are passing your guard a lot, and then you untuck their lapel and wrap it around your leg when they're in your guard, they don't pass your guard as much. It's it's undeniable that you know there's it's effective, um, and then the leg lock game. You know, again, undeniable that that's kind of burst onto the scene in the last few years. And if you're not paying attention to this stuff, you tend to get caught with it, or your students get caught with it, and and you get left behind. So, um, I don't try and necessarily adopt those styles myself, but, but I do like to break them down, understand them, use them in training. You know, I, I, I mean, actually, yesterday I, I managed to roll a little bit, and um, one of the positions I kept finding just out of chance was as the as uh, they were trying to pass my guard. I was able to set up the honey hole and sweep with it, and 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 finish in, in you know, kind of double footlock position a lot. Um, but I, I do like to play around with this stuff. But putting it into my A game, if 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 I go and compete at the Masters or anything, then you're probably going to see the old manager. Just you're not going to see you know much, you know. No reverse Della Worm guard, whatever it is. <laughs> no, no, uh, and, and, you know, actually. Um, Underneath, I've always liked to use a lapel. Um, you know, back when when I was uh, uh, blue belt, a lot of people used to use what we called the the Brabo grip, which is you untuck the lapel, you're underneath, you wrap it over their back, and, it, and you know. And as a smaller guy, I found that was very effective for stopping the bigger guys posturing up. And if I could stop them posturing up, I could prevent a lot of early guard passes. So, I've always been a fan of using a lapel to. Uh, even up to score on strength, you know. So I, I, you know, it's not. I've never really been that kind of person, Dan, where I go, oh no, I won't do that because it's against tradition, or oh no, I don't like that because I don't like the guy who uses it. Um, no, if, if it works for me, I'll use it, and if I see it working for a lot of people, then I'll, I'll try and understand it so I can teach it or defend against it. 
Now, the way you've described that's really interesting, the concept of understanding it, but not necessarily using it and seeing how you can apply it. Now, because you get a lot of people who are like, oh no, leg locks are like, you know, <laughs> are the devil's thing and always kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, IBGF will die, that kind of mentality, I don't know. But, <laughs> regards of evolution... Getting, they're, probably, yeah, they're probably getting leg locked a lot in the gym. <laughs> you know? <laughs> if you don't learn it, if you don't learn it, then people are going to get you with it. That's it, you're left behind. Um, yeah. Regards of room for experimenting within the gym, is there a certain level you expect someone to be before they start experimenting or just let them go from the word go with trying stuff? Um, I think it comes down, you know, all, all of that stuff. First of all, uh, my initial answer would be no. I think there's always that, that early period where people don't know when to tap and don't know when to let go of stuff, you know. Um, that can take people a week to learn, two weeks to learn, um, sometimes a little bit longer. But I think, first of all, you know, you have to have that basic level of understanding of when you're in danger. Um, and I think there is a few techniques out there where people don't really understand they're in danger. You know, when someone starts squeezing your neck, it's intuitive. I think it's in your DNA. You start to panic and, and you... You scream and tap no matter, you know, even if it's your first day on the mat. Um, but when someone's kind of hooking the back of your foot and twisting and there's no real pain, um, yet this could be a, a, almost a lifelong injury, uh, you know, I think there's, there, there's definite risks there. So I think, I think you have to be sensible. Um, generally, I, I follow the IBJJF rule set in the gym uh, because I find it's probably the safest way to, to get people in grappling, you know, because... I don't want someone picking up a serious injury in their first six months and never coming back. You know, if someone picks up a serious injury and they've already been training five years, they're probably going to rehab the injury and come back. You know, so um, I pretty much stick to the IBJJF stuff, you know, start introducing wrist locks and stuff towards blue belt, um, start introducing the twisting foot locks and knee bars uh, as we start to approach late purple uh, into the brown belt. Um that's like the that's the generic rule of the gym, really. Um, but we've got MMA guys in the gym. Uh, I know that I've got blue belts that are, are more than capable of, of competing in heel hook tournaments and, and, and doing well. So obviously, if they're training for that kind of tournament, we'll set up special training for them. Again, you know, like in all my sessions, I'm I'm, I'm keeping an eye on the mat. And if you've got two black belts on the mat. They both compete at Naga, and they want to do heel hooks. Then they can do their own thing and, and, and do heel hooks. But uh, I, I'd probably say every time we, we, we get into this conversation in the gym, you know, look after your training partner and, and, and let the submission go. If you think they're going to get injured, you know, don't you, you're not chasing the, te- the, the tap. Um, but it will come down to personalities, really. You know, people's personalities will, will depend on how that goes, and, and you know. You've been training long enough now, mate, to know yourself. There's probably some people who you rush to train with in the gym, and some people in the gym you, you don't rush to train with. And, and a lot of the time, it's not even because they're necessarily better than you. You just know there's a higher risk of you getting hurt with them because of, of, of the way they approach the end game. Um, you know, and, and as a coach and as a team and as a gym, we, we always try and educate people so that you know, eventually people get a good attitude towards training, but, you know, it's never 100%, is it? You know, 
Well, that's it as well, because I can't help but feel sometimes not even malicious. Some people are just a bit either clumsy or a bit... Like, because you get, I don't know, the sort of bigger guys who <laughs> don't mean to crush. The bigger guys who don't mean to, like, you know, twist and talk as such. And they just have to be a bit, I don't know, mindful. And again, it's, I think it's quality of training partners. Because, again, you need to have a variety, I feel, but also within your own remit of things. Because, like, for example, I don't know, like, how do you feel about training with significantly bigger guys? Like, regards of your risk for your own injury versus development in that sense? Because... As much as jiu-jitsu is meant to be for the smaller guy, like, you've got to think about longevity, I think. Um, yeah. It, it, I mean, it's difficult for me because I'm, I'm, a lot of times I'm in, in, in the position in the gym where, um, you know, they're my students. So if I don't roll with them, I, I don't really have as much input on their game as I, as I could because you get to, to feel so much more when you actually, you know, exchange with someone. Um, so I, I do like to pretty much try and roll with everybody who comes through my door. I, I will roll with some more than others. Um, and, and if a guy is over 100 kilos and particularly kind of crazy, um, maybe I'll size step him for a bit. But that, that craziness always subsides, subsides as they start to get better anyway. I mean, if a guy's bigger than me and he can just out-muscle me and he's got half-decent technique... Um, I won't necessarily not roll with him, you know. Uh, that's fine. I don't, you know, I've been stuck under Mount for the last twenty years, mate. It's not going to matter one more time. Do you know what I mean? You know, who, whoever it is. I mean, if they want to take that away as uh, as a big victory for them, then um, <laughs> it doesn't bother. You know, that, that's that's fine. I, I, haven't, I haven't got a problem with that. Um, it's it's more really if they're just. I hate using the word because I know what what the connotations are. But if they're a bit spazzy, uh, I, then I'll probably sidestep them until they, you know. And, and I'll get some of the bigger lads with good technique to roll with them because I think, yeah, definitely when a big guy gets controlled and 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 submitted by a smaller guy, the 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 penny drops very quickly. But I, I do see a lot of our bigger guys who have come in with no technique. You put them with another big guy with good technique, and it shows them that, you know, because uh, it, it's one of those things that a big guy sometimes, just, just through the years of training, I, I see this, not all the time, but a lot. If you get a small guy to kick a big guy's ass, it, it, it does send them a message that this works. But a lot of times they also go, yeah, but he only moves like that because he's small. Mm. You know, same way the smaller guy go, oh, he only does that to me because he's strong. Uh, uh, some big guys will go, oh, yeah, the technique's for the small guy. So, I find putting a big, a new big guy with a more experienced big guy, they can kind of say, oh, this is for me as well. Not only is this guy kicking my ass with technique, because they'll feel it, won't they? They'll, they'll, they? You know, they'll feel that they're not getting manhandled by the bigger guy. They'll feel that he's beating them up with something different mm. that they haven't felt before. And if he can move like that, then they can move like that. And, it, you know, the penny drops a little bit. And then once they calm down, then, then I'll probably not be so worried about rolling with them. This is it takes the initial sting out of it. It's sort of okay, just you know, because I think the term spazzy is always sort of thrown about in jiu jitsu, but ultimately, it's that nervous energy is that kind of I don't know, panic. It's like you can't dance and you've got to just suddenly do something. You sort of awkwardly yeah, do they, don't know. <laughs> they, they, they don't know any different. And, and if they're coming through the door and they're already a big, strong guy, you know, use a door, you know, use a doorman as a, as a kind of classic example. You know, he, he's aware of fighting and, and he's aware of comp competing and, and, 
you know, intuitively he can feel that he's been held down and doesn't want to be held down, you know, he's going to fight and try and get up. And um, until we give him the, 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 the right techniques and the right tools to do it gracefully and, and, and efficiently, he's just going to do whatever he can. And it is going to be um, explosive and, and um, you know, it's going to be knees and elbows everywhere. But, you know, that's, you know, that's not them. That's, that's normal, that is. Definitely. Now, Kev, I really appreciate your time this morning. Where can people find you? Uh, I am on Instagram. I, I think on all the social media platforms, I use Instagram the most. Um, mainly the, the, the club Instagram, RGA Bucks is the, um, is the username. But I've got my own one, Capel Kev. Um, and I'm on Facebook as Kev Capel, but I, I hardly ever go on Facebook. Hardly ever. All, all the stuff that goes on Facebook is kind of automatically pinned through Instagram. And then I'm, I'm at the gym when it's open again, which, which is hope, hopefully going to be soon. Um, my main gym is RGA Bucks in Aylesbury. And uh, I, I try and get up to the main academy in, in London as well. Awesome. All that will be in the description. Today's episode was brought to you by Mauler MMA. Use code FCMMA20 at checkout for 20% off on all products on maulermma.com.